You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Well, hello, and thank you again for tuning in to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. This is a podcast with the Preston Crest Church Christ in North Dallas, specifically with the Discover Young Adult Ministry. But again, we are talking about topics and questions that relate to all people of all ages. And hopefully you have been following along with us. If you have not, I'd encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. And if you would, please share it with people that you know, as we are in the beginning stages of this new podcast. And we're wanting to get good Christian content out there to encourage people in their journey with Jesus Christ. We have just finished a series on baptism. And if you have not heard that series, we'd encourage you to go back and listen to those four different episodes. And if we can help you answer any questions about baptism or discuss baptism with you further, again, I'd encourage you to email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org, and we would love to have those conversations. But today we're going to begin a new topic, and I've asked a good friend of mine, Dustin Jones, to come on and talk with us about just Bible study, how to study your Bible, how to benefit from Bible study, how to gain a deeper relationship with God through the discipline of reading through the Scripture. Uh, Dustin is someone who takes that very seriously, as you will see through this episode today. But first, I want to welcome Dustin. So, Dustin, we are glad that you're with us today for Road Talk. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to be part of it. Now, Dustin is on staff with the Waterview Church of Christ, just a few exits down from us. And uh, we had Robert Taylor a couple weeks ago. Waterview is a a great church. That's where I grew up. Uh, Dustin, what is your exact title with Waterview Church of Christ? My exact title is the Minister of Family Development. Well, that looks fancy on a business card. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about what that looks like, what that does. Sure. It, it's one of those things that um, as time has gone, it has sort of narrowed down to being pretty close to a children's minister. And that's not exactly the focus, but I, I basically work with our children's education from fifth grade and under and those kids' parents. So those family units okay. is kind of my area of ministry. Okay, very good. And that's a very, very important part of any church for sure so tell us a little bit about your family dustin before we get going yeah my uh, my wife megan and i we've been married now for 12 years um and so 
that's been uh, that's been an interesting journey it doesn't feel like 12 years have gone by at all but we started um, in Lubbock and we moved out here in uh, 09 started attending Waterview at the very end of 09 and in 2014 they they uh, hired me on to to do what I'm doing now. So it's been an interesting journey into ministry. That's weird because Megan told me y'all have been married 20 years. So I guess it's taken a little bit longer in her mind than it has in yours. She's a patient woman, I know. Uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, very good. And, and Dustin is also a professional trumpet player. So tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, I hesitate to say that I'm professional anymore. That's for sure. Um, I started out, I have a bachelor's and master's degree in trumpet performance. And so I set out to be a trumpet player. And along the way, I sort of realized that when you work as a trumpet player is big family time. And I didn't really want to give that up because it's, it's uh, entertainment based. Mm-hmm. So you would, you would play and perform on Friday night, Saturday afternoon and Saturday night and Sunday afternoon and Sunday night sometimes. And I was like, those are all times that I don't want to give up. Sure. So the more that I realized that, the more I realized that's not what I wanted to do. And I didn't, I didn't understand that whenever I was going through school. So I ended up just teaching middle school and high school kids to play the instrument and really use that as a, as a vehicle in many regards for ministry, to be able to talk to them and interact with them and mentor them a little bit uh, beyond just playing an instrument. It was about self-discipline and um, learning skills. Okay. Okay. So it was, it was a, it was a fun, what five years of of work but uh, okay yeah and speaking of self-discipline you're real big into weightlifting and ripping apart phone books which is <laughs> extremely yeah impressive yeah okay yeah. okay so uh dustin's a guy with several talents and hobbies but i think the thing that i appreciate most about dustin also he's an excellent song leader but um he really takes seriously the discipline of studying scripture and making that part of your everyday journey with Christ. And, you know, Dustin, I I know you believe this, but it's quite ironic that within churches of Christ, one thing we've always wanted to be known by is being people of the book. And Mm -hmm. we preach and we teach all the time that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And within our Mm -hmm. faith tradition, we've always wanted to just do things exactly by scripture. We want to be the church of the New Testament. But then so many people in our churches, if you really ask them questions about the Bible, they don't know the Bible. Uh, Mm -hmm. They don't understand the Bible. And when you talk about biblical things or use terms like use, you know, do, do things in Bible ways and use Bible names to describe Bible teachings, uh, you know, restoration principles, they look at you like you're from a different planet. Mm. And so really making Bible study a part of your life has got to be one of the most important disciplines for people who claim to follow Jesus. So, yeah. Dustin, when did you get serious about studying your Bible and why did you get serious about it? So it's interesting. Um, I would say my answer for that is in 2010. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we had just gotten to Waterview and they said, we're setting out as a church to read through um, the F. Lagarde Smith chronological Bible. And so Megan and I were like, let's do that. We had never done it before. So we set out 
I guess we started probably on the 5th of January and we caught up, which wasn't very easy because it's, you know, like 40 minutes of reading to catch up mm-hmm. <laughs> daily for several days. Anyway, we caught up and we set out to read all the way through together and we read out loud. At least I did. Megan listened and followed along. Um, except for maybe three or four days that year, we read out loud together the entire Bible. Um, and again, I am a huge proponent of reading allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a lot to be said for that. And then I, I, I did it again just this last year. Uh, we went chronologically through, but I used my own Bible instead of the Effligard Smith. Um, and that, that was a, a big proponent or a component of my developing into Bible study. But the other piece of it is I have memorized Second um, Timothy and Colossians and some other portions of Scripture. Uh, and that that was also one of those things that really influenced my Bible study. And the reason that I say that I can't I can't quote them directly entirely anymore. Right. But I know them very well. And what I found was it was this all-consuming effort to memorize that much material. And I found myself quoting it in my head while I was laying in bed whenever I woke up in the morning during the day. Um, it was just running through my mind because I was, I was thinking on it so hard. And that caused me to just see the Scripture in the world around me all the time. Um, so that was, that was really, I think, one of the best things that I did in, in the world of Bible study was memorizing it because you internalize it and then you can live by it. Okay, okay. Well, that's an interesting story. So basically you got serious about it because of a church challenge or commitment. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a good point to address as we begin, that if you want to get serious about this, it's much easier to do it possibly when there are other people joining you in the effort. So it's a team effort thing. Um, Absolutely. I, I, this is a couple questions down the list of what I've sent you, but since you've already mentioned this, let's go straight to that one. Uh, you did this with Megan, and you, mm-hmm. you read it out loud. She listened. Um, and obviously this is still part of your your life now. So how mm-hmm. has daily Bible study, or at least intense Bible study, how has that changed your marriage? So <laughs> when I read that at first, I was like, that's an interesting and maybe even a kind of a challenging question. And, and I would say there's a couple things to it. One of them is because it's been something that happened over time, it's harder to look at and point to it changed it in these ways because it's been so small um, changes over time that have resulted in large changes. Um, but as I think about it, whenever we, we've done this, and, and right now we're reading through the New Testament um, this year. So it's basically one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. and we'll get through it in a year. And we still read aloud together. Mm-hmm. And that I think has been interesting because every time we've read through, we did it together. And even if we didn't read it literally at the same time together, we're reading it at the same pace. And so we would find ourselves going, man, I was reading this thing today and it confused me or I didn't understand it or it challenged me. Mm-hmm. And so we start talking about that. And so each time we've done this, we read together. And because we were reading it together at the same pace, even if we didn't literally read it at the same time, 
we would get together and talk about the things we were reading. Maybe it was confusing or challenging in some way. And so we went on this journey of trying to understand scripture and God word, God's word together that I think really caused us to be interwoven in a way in our journey of becoming better Christians and following more closely um, on the same page at the same time going in the same direction. And that's really been beneficial to keep us united. Mm-hmm. And it gives you something to talk about every night too, other than just yeah. the problems of the world. Yeah. 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 Do you find that insights she gives you challenges your thinking and vice versa? For sure. Right. For sure. Right. And that, I mean, there is no better way for a husband and wife to connect than by talking about God's will and, and God's mm-hmm. teachings. So that's encouraging yeah. also for people listening to this. You know, we talked about having several people who are doing this with you, but even more specifically, mm-hmm. your spouse, uh, yeah. the time that you have together after work, before you go to bed, spend some of that time in scripture together. It, it mm-hmm. enhances your conversation and it makes you talk about things that are, you know, actually important rather than what's mm-hmm. going on in the news. Um, yeah. how has it changed your, your ministry, not just your marriage, but your ministry? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> To answer that, I would say, frankly, it got me into ministry. Okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I only started being a minister in 2014. And before that, I was a trumpet player, and I went to school for trumpet. So I don't have a formal education in ministry. So I, I attribute the Bible reading and Bible study, and then I got to start teaching classes and things at Waterview. Um, all of those things I think are absolutely critical in my journey to even getting to do ministry. So um, as I have, as I've gotten into ministry, I had to study a lot to write and rewrite our children's curriculum. And that has really influenced my, uh, my overall knowledge and grasp of scripture. And so I have really come to own the knowledge instead of having heard about it. And and that's one of the things that I, I think is very significant about Bible study is you'll find that people generally like to hear second or third hand from God instead of first hand. Mm. And, and whenever you think about that, go back to the Exodus, whenever they approach Mount Sinai. And at first, God speaks speaks to them from the mountain. And then the Israelites are saying, basically, we can't hear directly from God, Moses, or we will die. You go listen to him, and then you tell us what he says. And I think whenever you consider that idea, today, we do the same thing. We want somebody else to go do the legwork of studying the scripture and then bring it to me instead of going and doing the legwork of studying the scripture and understanding it for ourselves. Mm. Uh, So I feel like just my own study has really helped me to be able to own that for myself because I actually had to go and do that legwork. Right. Uh, Right. And so as a result, one of the things that I do is I put together bookmarks for people to follow along and and read because I think having a plan is very important. So I put together these things to say, you go and you read it because how else are you going to know it than you going and reading it? Man, that's such a good point. And if you look at church history and how, you know, the church begins in the book of Acts and people ask the question, how do we go from the book of Acts where everyone's involved and everyone is committed to 
this other model, which then is repeated through the dark ages and medieval ages mm-hmm. of just one big, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, Catholic church, where only a few elite people understand scripture and then it's their job to to teach the people who are uneducated about god and what that happens Mm. or what that creates Mm. is a culture where anything can be taught and no one knows the difference and there's this mindset that we'll never understand what god wants and that's not how the church begins um and we see this in the book of acts you know the the bereans are labeled the noble Bereans because they do exactly what you're talking about. They do the legwork on their own. They hear the word of God yeah. taught, but then then they make sure that what they did here was biblical and, and yeah, true. Yeah, go study. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's an interesting perception, and I loved your answer. It hasn't just changed my ministry. It got me into ministry. <laughs> um, yep. It began a new journey for me, not only spiritually, but but professionally. So the third question I had about that was, one, your marriage, second, your ministry. Uh, how, how has this changed Dustin Jones from the Dustin yeah. before serious Bible study to the Dustin after serious sure. Bible study? So it's kind of funny. I, uh, I frequently joke about feeling like I owe the world an apology for my teenage years. <laughs> uh, and I think to some extent, everybody probably has a similar experience of being like, man, I was a fool whenever I was young, you know, and I think a lot of that just has to do with, um, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And I I was going to church and I was learning and I was trying to be a Christian, but I wasn't really reading it for myself. And I just hadn't had enough time with it uh, because it takes time to study through and develop a knowledge base that you can then, actually stand on and live in accordance with. Right. Uh, so I, I honestly, it's kind of funny. I don't know that I can give you very many tangible examples. Again, I would say it's changed slowly over time, mm-hmm. but I do know without question that I'm a different person now than I was before I really started studying. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. It's hard to point to, but I do know that now I see scripture and how it applies to just everyday living in the various things that I come in, in contact with. And I, I can't think that there's any other reason than that I've been studying it. Right, right. And I think we'll talk about this in a few minutes with some different texts, but it's the whole discipline of inserting your life into the narrative of Scripture rather mm-hmm. than just taking Scripture and trying to insert it into your life. Like you see your part now in God's story when... Mm-hmm you were so involved in it on a daily basis that mm-hmm. God has always involved his people in his story. Um, yeah. And even though the canon is now closed in the sense that there are no more inspired books or texts that the church needs, we still find ourselves involved in that story in such a, you know, impactful way. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's talk about the actual discipline of Bible okay. study because I, it's not easy. It's not easy. If you tell someone, sure. oh, you need your life to be better, just pick up and read the Bible. Well, that doesn't that doesn't mm. tell them much. So no. what what do you think is the hardest thing about Bible study? The hardest thing? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> by far, I would say the hardest thing is actually sitting down to do it. Not even anything actually about the doing of it, but actually sitting down to do it. 
Um, and, and I would compare that to if, you know, I don't, I don't actually go to a physical gym anymore. I train in my garage. Um, but it's not unlike working out. For me, the hardest part of working out was always getting to the gym. Mm -hmm. Once I'm there, I don't have that much difficulty actually doing what I came for, but I don't always want to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing is very true with, with Scripture. If you actually sit down and start reading it, one of, one of my favorite quotes is um, from Ray Vanderlaan. He, he said, I, I'm trying to get more fire for reading the Word and he said he was talking to a friend and his friend was like, no, you've got it wrong. The fire is in the word. Oh, okay. And, and when I think about that, I think that's very true. If you actually get to the text, the text is kind of infectious and it will get into you and you will continue to study. You just have to get there. So the hardest part for me is just sitting down to do it. Yeah. And that's so true for so many areas of life. I was thinking about, about the gym too. I went to the gym this morning and, you know, yeah got out of bed about six o'clock and went to the gym. It was, it would have been so much easier to stay in bed. Uh, oh, yeah. But you're right. When, once you get there and you get on a machine and you're like, this isn't that bad. Uh, yeah. Bible says the same way, you know, for a lot of people, you know, who, who don't pick it up till after a full day's work or get the kids down for bed. I mean, your mind's tired. You're tired. Yeah. And yeah. sitting there thinking, all right, well, I'm going to sit here and try to focus on these words of God. Uh, it can be daunting mm -hmm. some days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you start For doing sure. it and you're, you're always glad you did it. You know, I've never left the always. gym. I've never left the gym saying, man, I wish I wouldn't have come today. <laughs> you're glad you went. Yeah. And same thing with yeah. reading scripture. You know, I've never walked yeah. away from Bible study saying, man, that was a waste of time. Yeah. Um, okay. Exactly so right. what's the easiest thing? That's the hardest thing. What do you think is the easiest thing? Okay. So, so I think, and this is kind of a maybe theoretical thing, but I think there's a difference in reading and studying. Okay. And so I'm going to say the easiest thing for me is just reading the text. So I, d I don't always go to it to try to search for anything in particular or try to prepare a lesson, but just sit down and read it and listen to what it says. And I find that if I just read it and listen to the words that I'm saying, because remember, I'm a proponent of reading out loud. Mm -hmm. um, I hear things that I don't remember. And as I hear, it really kind of just prompts me to start thinking about those things. And then, you know, as they say, I'm off to the races <laughs> yeah. and uh, I start chewing on something. So just read it and allow anything that grabs your attention to do so. Interesting. Interesting. So that's not difficult. Like you said, I mean, if, if you've got up the energy to actually sit down and do it, mm -hmm. like you're mm -hmm. saying you don't have to approach this as if you're trying to prove a point or outline a sermon mm -hmm. or teach a Bible class or f mm -hmm. find something profound you've never seen before. Just, just right. listen, listen. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, um, this fellow that I follow listening to how, how to work out. He talks about, Every workout doesn't have to be a home run. You just think about it of putting another brick in a wall. And he says, every time you come to it and you put another brick in that wall, over time, you really develop something there. Mm -hmm. And I think Bible study is very similar. You don't have to find yourself, you know, with four or five translations spread out in a notebook and all these things every time. Sometimes that may happen and you really get into something. But other times you may be. I just made it through a chapter or whatever, and, and that's enough. I don't think we, we need to set this impossible standard of, well, if I don't do these following things, then it doesn't count. Like, no, just read it, and that's enough. 
And I think you'll find over time that builds into a beautiful thing. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, if someone's listening to this today and they've been thinking, you know, I really, I really want to make this a bigger part of my life, but I've never done it before. How would you encourage others to start this process of being serious about Bible study? You need a schedule or a reading plan, however you want to call it. Whether it's um, the Eflagard Smith, where it's already assembled for you, and it literally says, today, read this. Um, Or like I have done, uh, I've assembled bookmarks where you can put it in your own Bible. And I like the idea that I read from my own Bible, so I'm familiar with where things are in those pages. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't really matter. Uh, but, But get something that is a schedule and a guide that you can do. Not something that's that's going to be an, I'm going to start reading my Bible an hour a day. You're invariably going to fail. So don't set some impossible standard. Just say, I'm going to read one chapter, three or four, maybe five minutes. If you're in John 6, you might be going for 10 minutes. But just right. just one chapter and read. And I think you'll find that if you start reading, the studying will follow. Okay. And don't start with Leviticus either. I mean, start, no. <laughs> start start with something that interests you. You know, if you want to if you want to know more about Jesus, well, start in the gospel accounts. If you want to know more about how the go. church began, start with Acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of mm-hmm. feed that passion, and I think that'll lead mm-hmm. to other interest and mm-hmm. and other passions. Um, yeah. Okay, so we've kind of alluded to this. We've talked about how we've inserted ourselves into God's story and how. Uh, strong Bible study it really does strengthen our marriages it changes the way we live it changes the way that we see scripture see everyday life yeah. and I think that's kind of what uh, the writer of Hebrews is describing in Hebrews 4.12 I love the way that scripture often describes scripture um, yeah. and Dustin I know you know this verse but for those listening Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and it is active it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's what Scripture mm-hmm. says about Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically that it is living and it is active. So my question for you is, as you have really made serious Bible study a part of your life, how have you come to appreciate that verse more? So this may or may not be a very straightforward answer to that, but it's what I thought of. And when I think about the idea of Hebrews 4.12, the thing that comes to mind is Luke chapter 6. I started reading Luke 6 fairly often because it challenges me very thoroughly. And, And I really discovered this, I guess, last year when we were reading through the Bible. Um, I remember coming to this passage in particular, and it bothered me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And whenever I say it bothered me, I mean to say, in a sense, it really did pierce my soul in a way that I I don't think it ever had before, because I felt like I'd come face to face with God's expectations for me and the reality of what I was doing. And those two things were very different. And as I let God's word bother me, 
I think that really affirmed the idea that it truly is the living and active word, and it really does pierce to the intentions of your heart. So as I think about that, I'm like, if you're reading God's word and something in there troubles you, and especially if it troubles you because you see, if you will, the ugliness of yourself, let that trouble you. Let it bother you because that will cause you to change. And I think that's one thing that, that a lot of times we, uh, we try to leave out is that the word should absolutely cause you to change. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, I suspect you're not really listening to what it's saying to you. Right. I think, I think too often we, we want to read for the feel good verses like, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, I have plans for you to, you know, hope and future. And it's like, but we don't really want to read the words that challenge us, you know, love your enemies, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. turn the other cheek. You know, we don't really want to hear those things. And so I think it's important that you have a balance of them and that if it challenges you be challenged. Yeah, absolutely. And I love your point. If you're reading it and not being challenged by it, uh, newsflash, it's not because you've just reached some spiritual utopian place yeah. in your life where you have nothing to improve. It's because you aren't yeah. really turning an ear to what God's saying. Um, yeah. And you aren't letting it digest in your heart and in your mind. And that that phrase there, it judges the thoughts and the attitude of the, of the heart. I've got to admit, that's always frightened me a little bit because I think what that's yep. saying is as you examine scripture scripture is examining you oh yeah uh, okay here's what this says and scripture is looking at your life saying are you doing this are you living yeah. this because yeah. if you're not you're guilty and this is not a charge you want to be guilty of in the eyes yeah. of God there's a story that I remember from my trumpet playing years um, that I think of a lot with this. And you said something about if I don't come to this, you know, this spiritual utopia point where you're like, I've got it. Um, there's a story of, of this man. He was the principal trumpet player for the Chicago Symphony. He won the audition when he was 19, but they said he was too young to have it. And then he won again when he was 21. And he stayed there till he was 77 years old. His name is Adolf Herson. Um, his nickname is Bud. Anyway, <laughs> he, um, he played for that orchestra for 56 years and he was doing a master class and he had this, this young kid, he played uh, a very well-known trumpet excerpt from pictures at an exhibition and he played and uh, Bud Herseth goes, okay, listen to me. And he played it and he goes, what was different when I played it when you played? And the kid listed off all these different things that, well, you did this better, you did this better, you did this better. And he kept, no, that's not it. And he exhausted himself of, hey, I, don't, I don't know. And he goes, whenever I played, arguably the best trumpet player, largely of all time, when I played, I heard more wrong when I played than you did when you played. Mm. And I think it's interesting that this guy who is a technical master of the instrument is going, I hear more wrong when I play than you do when you play. And when I think about that, as I have studied scripture and become more aware of God's desires and, and expectations for holiness and, and the standard of living that he sets that's so high, I realize more and more how much I don't measure up to that. And I become more and more thankful for the grace and payment for my sins 
instead of, man, look at me, I'm getting so much better. It's like, wow, I'm yeah. so far away from God's standards. But again, he paid my debts. And that's a great line. That reminds me of something we studied in, in preaching for graduate school. One quote that I ran across by a certain author, I can't remember who the author was, but uh, they were writing about the discipline of, of preaching. And the quote was something along the lines of preachers, if you are not preaching sermons that don't illuminate the own fault in your life, then you aren't preaching the gospel. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, a preacher never needs to get to the mindset where he thinks, I'm just now preaching to the people who need to hear this. Like every yeah. sermon he preaches should illuminate his own failures and his own faults as well, because that's what we do when yep. we read scripture is it shines the light on our darkness, you know, what we need to improve. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a yeah. great insight, Dustin. Um, what's your favorite book in the Bible? <laughs> uh, I would definitely say the gospel of John <clears throat> for sure. Um, yeah, Is there a reason why? Why would you say the gospel of John? Um, it's hard to really to, to put into words, but whenever I read it, there's almost a level of humanity to it. Um, so, so many times I think we, we look at Jesus and forget about the flesh and bones part of him. Mm -hmm. And I think the flesh and bones part of him helps me to appreciate that he was in likeness of man but he was obedient to the point of death on the cross. Mm -hmm. And I think that being in likeness of man is important. And whenever I, I realize that more, it helps me appreciate more what he's done for me. Sure. Um, and so the gospel of John, okay. for sure. Okay. Uh, I had this question down. I think it's an interesting question. If you only had one book of the Bible to read the rest of your life, what book would that be? The Gospel of John. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, and and I, I mean, I definitely would choose a gospel. And, and whenever I think about it, we are Christians, not Paulians or Johannians or however they say it. We, we don't follow one of the apostles. We follow Jesus. Now, I do believe very firmly that all the letters and things written by Paul and Peter and so forth, those are all inspired and, and definitely hold authority over us. But I only mean to say Jesus is our ultimate example and Savior. So if I only had one to read, I wouldn't want to know Jesus as thoroughly as I was able. Mm -hmm. So I would read a gospel mm -hmm. um, personally. Mm -hmm. And here's something that people don't often realize if they don't know much about biblical history as far as you know the writing the new testament things of that nature the gospel accounts were some of the last books to be written um, yeah. paul's letters are written before the gospel accounts and so i've always imagined you know how exciting it would have been for these first century collective bodies of christ to finally have gospel accounts you know like yeah. what a, what a gift that would have been um, yeah. And now we have them to mm -hmm. show us the daily life of Jesus and, and how he interacted mm -hmm. with people. And one thing that's so interesting about the Gospel of John is I forget the exact percentage, but I want to say 30 to 35 percent of that Gospel account takes place in the final 
24 yeah. hours of Jesus's earthly life. I mean, John 13 yeah. through John chapter 20 all takes mm-hmm. place within that final day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge amount. A huge amount. And brings you back to what Jesus was thinking and feeling um, yeah. during those dark hours. So, yeah, I'm with well, you. And, and uh, you can appreciate the, it's, I think it's John 20, 30, um, where he, he speaks of the idea that um, he had done so many other things, but these are written so that you may have life, so that you may believe, and by believing, you may have life. Mm-hmm. And and I always think about that, and I'm like, hmm. and then the, the comment of, he did so many other things, and if they were written, the world couldn't contain the number of books. And whenever you think about just that 13 through 20 being written in that small window of time, it really brings life to, if he really did write down all the things that he did, there would not be enough books to contain it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And also thinking about, you know, John 17, uh, when Jesus prays this beautiful prayer in the Garden yeah. of Gethsemane. <laughs> I've always mm-hmm. wondered, too, being John writing that, being like, hey, this is the thing that I slept through that Jesus asked me to stay awake for. <laughs> like, man, I wish I would have stayed awake for this. Yeah. It would have been so yeah. much more meaningful. Um, yeah, but still, the way that we have it is is such a a precious gift. Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Dustin? I really appreciate your answers to these questions today. One one thing that that is kind of my um, um, I don't know pet peeve maybe mm-hmm. is I would encourage the length of reading to be a little bit longer, and and context is important. Because if you're reading only one verse at a time, you really can get confused about what it's saying. Mm. Um, Instead, I think you need to read what comes before and after. And so you put that verse into a larger context. And when you do, you'll have a much better idea of what it means. A good, for instance, if you think about Colossians 3.16, the idea that... um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, we, we always use that verse as one to talk about our worship services and why we sing. Uh, don't get me wrong. It does apply and impact our worship services, but is that really what Paul's talking about there? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the entirety of that passage, he starts out, if then you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above. And then he goes on to say, put to death the old self with its practices. Put on the new self with its practices. Um, and as you do that, this idea of, of singing and letting the, the word dwell in you richly and teaching and admonishing one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, will become a part of your everyday life and interaction with other Christians. Will that change your worship service? Absolutely. But more importantly, it will change your everyday living. Right. And as a result, your Sunday worship will be transformed. Right. So whenever, whenever I think about those things, it's like if you just look at that one little piece you can make it mean almost anything you want it to mean. But if you look at the, the whole chapter, and then you go, okay, well, what are we talking about here? And how does this fit within that? Then you oftentimes will come to a much richer understanding that says, yes, this will impact this one small thing that I've assigned it to, but it is really going to change my everyday living 24 seven. 
And I think if we look at those things more holistically, mm. then you'll have a better balance of what do I really do with the text? So context and longer pieces of scripture, uh, reading them aloud, <laughs> I think is, uh, I think is critical. Man, that's a great point. You know, I love your line. If you pull one verse out, it's really dangerous. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, for I know the plans yeah. I have for you, declares the Lord, to give you hope in the future. And you tell people, hey, do you realize God's writing that to people who are in exile? Like yeah. their lives are really bad. Um, mm-hmm. This is not written to high school graduates trying to pick a major when their parents are helping them pay for college. This is this is the, the ugly of life and God telling you even – even in the brokenness of exile, I'm going to redeem you in ways that you can't imagine. Uh, yeah. We talked about this in Sunday morning Bible class here at Preston Crest this past Sunday too. Uh, f- the book of Philippians, and I'm with you. I think reading really not just longer passages of Scripture, but whole books at a time, whole letters at a time yeah. is really healthy. Uh, you know, Philippians 2.14 is that verse that says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And people yeah. look at that verse are like, well, that's not even possible. I mean, I complain when someone cuts me off in traffic. So I've already, you know, disobeyed this rule. So this is just kind of a chicken soup for the soul type of statement. Here's who, here's who you should be. Actually, the context yeah. of, of that, right before that verse, Paul's talked about working out your own salvation. And that's mm-hmm. in the context of, you know, putting your mind around what God's told you to do for your life, that's how you work out your own salvation. So once he says, do everything without complaining or arguing, the context of that is don't don't complain or argue about what God's told you to do in his word. Just yeah. do it. This isn't like, yeah. don't complain if it's hot outside or don't yeah. argue about, you know, which candidate you should vote for. No, the context is don't complain or argue with scripture and that changes the way you look at that statement absolutely yeah anything else you want to add before we land this plane i don't think so um just read read your bible okay okay yeah because this plane's almost out of gas so i guess we need to land it before (laughs) we lose any passengers uh but dustin thank you for coming on today and we do encourage you uh, listening to this, you know, get in the text. If we want to claim to be people of the book, if we really believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, our Bibles have got to do a lot more for us than just sit on a coffee table or, you know, sit in a bookshelf. It, it has to be a significant part of who we are. Now, I want to close today by closing the way we close every time. I want to remind you that during this journey of life, there will be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready. We want to help you navigate your journey. And as always, keep your eyes on heaven. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to speaking with you next time. Have a great week.